Hey everyone, today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by CraneShares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN forward slash Real Vision. Now to the top analysis of today's markets. Are we seeing the return of the bond vigilantes? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Tony Greer, editor of the Morning Navigator newsletter. Hi, Tony. How are you, Maggie? What's cooking? Oh, there's quite a lot cooking, isn't there, if we look across the board today. So we had a big spike in bond yields, 10-year and 30-year, now back at levels last seen in 2007. That spooked equities. We saw the Dow and S&P off over 1%, although they're actually a little bit off the lows. Um, but it was an ugly looking day. The NASDAQ down closer to 2%. And we had the VIX up. Um, at one point, I think it was up 15%. Um, it set also settled back just a little bit, but we saw that moving higher. When you look across everything that's happening, a lot of conversations we know happening you know, across social media and in message boards, what do you make of the trading action today? Oh, man, Maggie, today was a wild day, really exciting day for me. And I'm going to say that when Maggie comes on and says bond vigilantes, we are <laughs> approaching a bottom of this treasury slide. And I'm not trying to poke fun, but that's the kind of sentiment that you see and feel at the bottom of the move in treasuries, right? Today, we had a three sigma puke in, long bond, uh, in the long bond with rates approaching a big round resistance number at 5%. We had a two sigma puke in the U.S. Treasuries in 10 year, right? So we have a new high there. We've got the curve steepening to minus 35 basis points. We've got the VIX responding with a move up to 20, which we haven't seen since May. We've got the dollar on the highs, but not making a new high with that capitulative spike in rates. We are getting towards the end of this move now. And I mean that in the stock and the bond sell off. You know, I really feel like we are at least starting to see the whites of their eyes in the equity market uh, in terms of the sellers. I mean, you know, today we saw two sigma sector pullbacks uh, in financials, cybersecurity, internet, software, airlines, high yield bonds, consumer discretionary. So we see another large magnitude move. We see the tick index get slammed to minus 1700 or so today. We've got the VIX in the 20s, the S&P below the 200 day, but coming into horizontal support levels. To me, we're getting to the late stages of this particular equity sell-off, Maggie. That's what I'm seeing. That's, that's so interesting. So let's talk about equities. You sent over a chart. We're going to put it up. Um, so is, is there a feeling, do you, do you have the sense what's making you think we're toward the end of it? Is it because you're watching levels? Is it because of sentiment is, you know, in other words, is there money waiting for something like this, which we certainly have heard, or are people going to get nervous and it feed on itself? Walk me through why you think it's a turning point. Well, it's the, it's kind of a combination of things that we've seen. Right. Like we finally, I think the chart is really, really relevant. Right. There's a head and shoulders in the SP. We broke the neckline a couple of weeks ago when we broke down through the 100 day moving average. We slid to the 200 day moving average. Now we've got the real VIX spike. Now we've got the real move in treasuries. Now we've got a, another, like maybe, I think this is like the fifth or sixth tick index in the last seven or eight days, that's been greater than minus 1500. So we've got a cluster of tick bombs that all indicate 
kind of agnostic selling in the stock market or really heavy across the board bid whacking. And so when you get to situations like that and you'll see, you know, I'm sure by tomorrow, CNN's fear and greed will be at extreme fear. Um, you know, the S&P has broken technically its 200 day moving average on a closing basis. And we've seen that before on other tests of the 200 day moving average where, you know, the S&P will come, you know, through that level and kind of maybe a few points below it. And then the, the move lower will start tailing off. And the next thing you know, we'll be consolidating around the 200 day. And everybody is still going to be super bearish waiting for that next leg down. And I think that that's where we're going to have a tradable bottom. You know, I really do. And I'm not talking about uh, a move right through the highs. I'm just talking about a significant, you know, two to three hundred point S&P bounce from here. And from there, we can be into, you know, sort of the middle of the next range that we set. But that's what it feels like to me, Maggie. I don't get terminally bearish after days like this and a big, huge VIX spike. Yeah, that, I think that's really important. If we look at treasuries. Talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing there. I mean, um, we we brought up the bond vigilance, and you're totally right. And we were discussing that as well. And by the way, just take a look at the conversations across social media, right? I mean, this is like people are licking their lips, like this is it. They're back. It's what we've been waiting for. Um, it was a big move. What's driving there? Like, what what is what's driving the momentum? Is it concern about debt, or is it something else? What's your sense of? of what's happening with the 10 year. And Brian, if, if, while Tony's talking, maybe you can go to the platform and just pull up um, the, the 10 year yield. I mean, we saw the 10 and the 30 go to those 2007 levels, but maybe you can just pull up the 10 year yield as he walks us through this. So to me, Maggie, the bond market has been, you know, significantly pricing in, you know, what, how the Fed left off last week, if you ask me, right, this is kind of a continuation of the move that was started at the FOMC meeting when Powell said, uh, I forgot what his actual comment was now, but it was about rates being higher for longer and the market's still adjusting to that, right? But the adjustment is before our eyes, right? We're 10% off of the highs of the S&P here, right? So adjusting to higher yields is something that happens quite often during a bull market run. And I think that that's what's going to happen. And the reason I think that also is because, you know, yields have gotten to this, we're, we're at historic levels now. It's the third year in the row of, you know, bonds being down. They're down significantly. And now we just saw this large magnitude capitulative slide. So that to me, it looks where, you know, that's probably the last of the short term selling, you know, bond mm -hmm. volatility spike, just like um, stock market volatility spike. And the market just consistently pricing in like higher inflation for longer, higher yields for longer. But at some point, there's going to be, you know, that trade is going to reach its nadir. At some point, if the economy weakens and we slip into a recession, the Fed's going to pivot and pivot sharply, right? And say, okay, we're not going to keep rates that high for that much longer because we've got this recession problem that they'll eventually be able to point to in the data. So that's that. That's kind of how I'm reading it. That would be a pivot in rates, and that would probably, you know, set stocks into a rebounding mode. And so I'm trying to get a little bit ahead of that and buy when there's a little bit of blood in the streets. And I think that we're getting, you know, within the seventh, uh, say, within the eighth or ninth inning of a tradable bottom in the S and P. It may not be today, but I think that it's we're there within the next couple of sessions, quite honestly. Yeah. So, uh, and we we do have uh, some data coming out. We have. Uh, ADP um, Wednesday, and then we've got the big jobs number on Friday. That's going to be really important um, as an indicator. Do you think that the Fed is comfortable with where rates are going? I mean, they've said higher for longer, but you think they're comfortable with it moving higher and at this at this rate of change? 
I think they have a big problem on their hands, right? The inflation genie is out of the bottle. We're seeing the oil commodity prices come barking back, even against a stronger dollar and weakening commodities kind of across the board. We see natural gas come to life in the fall season here, right ahead of a potential, you know, natural gas always bubbles up in the winter. So if it starts bubbling up in the fall, you may as well start keeping an eye on it just in case there's a major move afoot. So those are all inflationary factors that are going to sort of backwardly reflect in the CPI data that we're going to see. And so that's kind of going to put upward pressure on the data, upward pressure on yields, a lot of pressure on Jerome Powell. And especially Mm -hmm. if the economy shows signs of, say, manufacturing weakness with all these high input costs, then they've got a bigger problem, right? Then they've got to lower rates and figure out how to keep the inflation genie in the bottle. So that's going to be another challenge. And I would imagine they might go to some more you know, alternative terms other than um, just the interest rate markets if that happens. So you know, yeah. I feel like you know, we're getting to a little bit of a turning point here. We're getting to a little bit of a capitulation in the bond market. At least finally, there is a large magnitude move at the bottom that we could point to and say, hey, maybe that was the actual puke right there. You know, I've heard, I've seen on Twitter, there's a lot of people throwing the idea of 13% reels out there. I forgot who coined it, but you know, that's going to shake up the bond market even further into this dislocation that we see today. So one of them is going to mark the bottom. I'd love to see a red to green day in treasuries where we know that that was an exhaustion print on the opening, but you can't always get what you want in the markets, right, Maggie? You got to take what they give you. That's absolutely right. You tell us that all the time, Tony. Jill's Jolie asking a question. I, I I think there's a better place to find the answer. What affects bond yields other than central bank interest rates? And why are yields rising as interest rates have been held? Lots of things affect it. Um, certainly the amount of debt. We've got a lot of issuance coming to market. I would encourage you to go, rather than us discuss it here, I would encourage you to go check out a couple of things on our platform if you hadn't had a chance yet, bookmark it. Message me if you can't find it, and I will share it with you on the platform. Um, Roger just did a great, Hearst just did a great recap of the entire crash and boom um, conversation we had. This was discussed, this question was discussed a lot. People feel differently about it too. A lot of people really concentrated on that debt issue, which is why we led with the uh, vigilante question at the top. But other people have have, have a different view on how that's all going to how that's all going to roll out. So go check that out. Um, and if not, you can always plug into the Academy and there's a couple of other essential pieces, anything from that content campaign, um, Luke Roman, David Rosenberg, go check them all out and you'll get some really, really great information on that, um, Gilles. So Tony, uh, we have a question about oil. Um, so how does oil plug into all of this? There is no oil, Maggie. Sorry. There's no, no I'm saying... There's no supply. Yeah, I say that facetiously, but, you know, Cushing (laughs) is, you know, literally consistently plunging in the inventory levels. So that's why WTI spreads have literally gone vertical in the last couple of weeks, I would say is fair. You know, the calendar went from the entire crude calendar went from a six dollar backward dated item to a ten dollar backward dated item in the span of a couple of weeks. Um, That is a signal that the inventories are low. And so people are supplying themselves by getting long front to backs. And, you know, with Cushing inventory this low and with Saudi production and Russian production coming off the markets and look around and nobody sees an SPR seller because there's very little left to sell, man, you know, that's an upside combination with alongside steady gasoline demand. 
I mean, that is a combination right there of a fairly solid oil market, right? At least one that's sideways to higher, and that's what we're seeing. So we got to a big range top at 94, 95 backed off. And I think that we'll probably back and fill in a sort of shallow dip that we've just seen and probably make another attack on the highs as inventories continue to draw, if they continue to draw. But it looks like that's the way we're going. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Next, I think that answers your question. Uh, Oliver saying uh, your headset is the same color as his watch list. I think um, <laughs> I think Oliver, a lot of people feel the same way. Um, so you've got a lot of company today. Uh, we have a question from uh, someone. We're still having this weird issue with everyone coming through his numbers. So my apologies. Asking where do you see the biggest risk that your scenario of a tradable bottom might not be true? And we see a deeper pullback in the S and P. So, what would what would maybe you know trigger this to be something more serious in terms of the downturn? It's all about the bond market from here. So today we saw a big steepening of twos tens, which is what the VIX is reacting to today. Twos tens steepened all the way to minus thirty five basis points. That has been the move that has been encouraging the VIX to bubble up like this on this entire sell off here as we price in higher yields. Right, my risk from here, from this level of bond pukage is what? A bigger bond puke, right? Higher yields, right? That's the risk for me right now is that the curve continues steepening at this absurd pace that it's steepening. So as things get steeper in the bond market, I start to price in a lower probability that they can have another large magnitude slide from there, right? And whether it's right or wrong, that's how I'm going to trade this. Right. Because at some point you play the law of averages. Right. And so after several months of puking and then a large magnitude move at the bottom, that's when I start to move my chips into the sort of, you know, bullish treasury camp and say, OK, there's a tradable bottom coming here. So if there's a tradable bottom, in my opinion, in treasuries, or at least we're getting close, then that's where that's why I can stick with the stock. Um, long stock tradable bottom idea. If there's a slide or the curve, say, jumps to minus 10 basis points by Friday, there will be another VIX pop and probably another sell-off. But that's when I get even more hungry to say, now we're getting toward the end of the bond sell-off because now we're finally seeing the capitulative kind of moves and not just the sort of grind to a new low in treasuries every day. This was a slide. So let's yeah. see what happens. Yeah. Um, worth noting that, and we'll talk a little bit about the dollar in a minute, but in this risk-off environment that we had today, we did see Bitcoin pullback. We were talking about this yesterday with Noel, that the fact that crypto has been kind of holding up, at least Bitcoin has been holding up, even as the dollar is higher. We did see it go down. Not a lot of losses, less than 2%. Um, I want to bring in uh, two special guests right now as we pivot to crypto for a minute. And that is... Uh, my colleagues, Ash Bennington and Artur Asinski, not only do they watch everything that happens in the crypto space, but in the digital asset space for that matter, but they also happen to be authors of a brand new book that is out this weekend, actually sort of this weekend into today. Hello to both of you. Hello, Maggie. Hi, Maggie. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us. Okay, so the book is called, um, you, you co-authored a book along with Elizabeth Bachman called Crypto Crackup, Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX, and SBF's Weird Island Empire. And of course, the trial starts today. And there's been so much around this. I mean, this has been in the news consistently. You both covered it 
of course, for Real Vision as this news and, and alleged fraud broke. But I'm curious, as you sat down and put it all together in a book, um, you know, what jumped out at you, Ash? What surprised you the most writing the book? Well, I have to tell you, the one thing that surprised me the most today uh, is just the fact that this is just a huge mainstream news story. You know, uh, for people who watch Real Vision Crypto and Real Vision Pro Crypto, uh, we've been in the weeds with this story. We have one of the most informed audiences in the world on this topic. We've been covering this all along. Uh, but this has just become this huge breakout news story today. I was on CNN International this morning talking about the book. This is a, you know, one of those stories where your buddies from high school keep pinging you on your phone. Uh, so it is just really one of these stories that really breaks through, I think, because of the, the nature of this criminal trial, the amount of attention that Sam Bankman-Fried has drawn, the amount of attention that the collapse of FTX has drawn, unfortunately, uh, for very negative reasons to the crypto space, Maggie. Yeah, but there's there's something about this, isn't there, Artur? Like the sort of the, the the some of the antics that went on, the character that he is himself. People are super intrigued. It seems like on how this could have even happened in the first place. What what were some of the takeaways for you? Intriguing is the perfect word to describe it because Sam Bankman-Fried, as we've learned uh, through writing this book is an incredibly complex, interesting, and obviously controversial character. Uh, we've seen so many different uh, aspects of how he operated. He, never, he was never a true crypto believer from what we've learned. He basically uh, found crypto as the best means to an end, which in his case was getting incredibly wealthy and through a philosophy that he very closely followed, effective altruism, the aim was to give it away uh, in, in the end. Obviously, we all know how that worked out for him, uh, but I think we've really got a better sense of Sam the man, and it's a really, really interesting story, and will be. I'm very curious to see how it all plays out in court. Yeah, because this is the opportunity to air it all. And I think one of the questions everyone always comes up with now, it's always hindsight's 2020, is how did he convince everybody that he was the real deal, right? How did this, regardless of whether he's found guilty of the crimes or not, right? He's got his day in court. This is all alleged right now. Um, but how did it get that far, Ash? Like that, that seems to be what everyone's thinking about and how much of it was about him and how much of it was about what was going on in the industry at the time. What do you think the fallout from this all is? I mean, how intertwined are those two stories? Yeah, it's a great question, Maggie. Well, first, of course, innocent until proven guilty. That's why we have these trials to determine uh, questions of guilt or innocence. Look, the bottom line is there are a lot of people in the crypto space who feel deeply betrayed by Sam Bankman-Fried, very angry about what happened. Look, the thing speaks for itself, $8 billion in lost customer funds. Archer pointed to this uh, bizarre notion that Sam did not really seem to be a tr crypto true believer. You know, one of the most important things I think about this story is that cryptocurrency is ultimately about decentralized permissionless networks that don't rely on centralized entities like FTX and Alameda to act as intermediaries. We find ourselves in this kind of weird transitionary phase between this uh, traditional finance world that we're in today, uh, as people in the space would say, moving toward this true decentralized permissionless uh, system of cryptocurrency. But in order to get there, there need to be these intermediary uh, sort of steps. And that's really where the paradox comes from, I think, in many ways. And so you ask this question about, well, how did this happen? How did this colossal failure occur? 
And I think the answer really is about this is a technology that's extremely, extremely early. There's enormous process, uh, excuse me, potential in this space, but it's a process to get there. And for people who are true believers in the technology, we can see that vision. Uh, but getting there is a challenge. And I think that this was about the kind of frictional, transitional aspect of moving into this world. Yeah. But Artur, at the end of the day, this is probably, and the reason this is kind of jumping into the mainstream so much is it probably comes down to just good old greed, right? Which like sort of is not exclusive to any asset class at all. It very, could, it very well could be. And um, crypto is a nascent technology. And Jim Bianco, um, who all the viewers of Daily Briefing know very well and whom we interviewed for the book, has said himself that this is not about crypto, but it is a high-flying sector, at least it was during during the uh, glory days of FTX. Uh, and that attract, attracts all kinds of people who see an opportunity, see a way in um, for various reasons, nefarious and, uh, or not. So it very well could be end up being just pure greed uh, because we know that for some, crypto was the best way um, to get incredibly wealthy. Uh, so the side effects of that have been obviously tremendous and the impact has been on this space has been profound. We've got full sympathy to the victims of the collapse, uh, but we're, st we're still seeing the effects of that. We're still seeing the impact out of this collapse and it's going to continue over the next few weeks as the trial plays out. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait to read it. Uh, I think anytime something like this happens, we it benefits us all to really understand what went on so that we can take the lessons away and you know try to put up some guardrails or be aware for the next time so we can learn. That's usually what happens, but you've got you got to dig in and understand it first. Not to mention the fact it's going to be a good primer for this trial, which should be full of fireworks since three of the people he worked with are testifying against him. So it's it's going to be a wild one to watch. Thanks so much, guys, and congratulations again. It is called Crypto Crackup, San Bankman-Fried, FTX, and SBF's Weird Island Empire. A lot of good juicy stuff in there, I'm sure. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Tony, it's amazing. These guys managed to write a book while they're working full-time and doing all the other stuff in their life. I love it. We got a lot of energy in this space. It's really impressive. Artur and Ash, good luck with the book sales. I will, for one, be buying several copies, and I can't wait to read it. Great work, guys. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, let's get back to some questions, um, Tony. And people are a lot of people are super interested in the fact that you, you're sort of seeing this as an opportunity. And listen, any time there's action like this, even though it's hard to watch sometimes if you're on the wrong side of it, this is what you guys do. You look for opportunity. Uh, we, we, someone saying, I, Tony, I hear a lot of people saying that we will close the year higher because managers will be chasing the portfolio mix for their customers. What are your thoughts? Cut through the BS for us. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, that's how I'm playing it. You know, I've been sort of an S and P bull all year with limited expectations um, because we're in a rising rate environment. The AI craze and the pop in NVIDIA caught me by surprise and kind of threw a real wrench in the works, but, you know, kind of helps your bullish S&P view. And so now that we've had 
um, an adjustment in yields. We've had a big adjustment in the curve and a big adjustment in the S&P. I'm looking for, you know, an early October bottom to trade right into the gorgeous seasonality of the fourth quarter S&P Santa rally. Because I think that once we clear everybody out and have sentiment pinned at extreme fear for a little while at the beginning of the quarter, with all of the adjusting that has already taken place to the interest rate moves on the screen, that just looks, you know, leads me to believe that we're going to have a tradable bottom from here. So that's, you know, my, my chips are on the table. That's how I'm playing it. Um, I, you know, and like I said, I don't know if it's this day, this week even, but I am considering that this is toward the end of the sell-off and that we do end the year higher than this price. So, you know, it just kind of lines up to me where we've been in a, you know, a pretty a, a long lengthy sell-off where, you know, we made the high in the NASDAQ in uh, mm. July you know, here we are three months, four months later, and, you know, it's still coming off the highs. And so that's the adjustment that I feel like the market has been in the middle of. And so when I feel like I've got a beat on that, and then we see a capitulation like we saw today in the treasury market, or at least what I think okay, I can judge as one um, with lower chances of another one happening the next day after something like this, that's the way we're going to play it into the, in the end of the year. And then hope that seasonality takes over where you have a little performance chase. Um, that's always nice into the end of the year. So we'll see what happens. I feel like we're getting a great clear out in the third quarter and we'll have a nice repeat um, rebound rally in the fourth. Yeah. Uh, very interesting, Doug. I always say we have the smartest, some of the smartest uh, people in our community out there. Doug putting down a great flag for something we're going to need to watch. Uh, Tony, if the auction goes poorly on 1030, uh, on, sorry, if the auction, auction goes poorly for the 1030 on the 5th, what could happen to the bond market? Mm. So for 10s, 30s on the 5th, an auction coming up that goes terribly, right? Yeah. No bid for bonds. Yeah, maybe there's another um, leg down in the equity market. Maybe if it's a steep one, I would assume that it'll be steep in price and short in duration. But I can live with that. You know, I, I think that... Um, that may be the case, and it may just be the case where there's a tremendous bid to the treasury market with yields having to adjusted to much higher rates. Like maybe people are going to say, you know what, a uh, 30-year 5%, mm -hmm. that's a good rate, but that's a great return that we haven't seen in a long time. Let's, you know, pension funds sock money away or in the 10-year at similar yields. You know, all of this is getting more and more attractive place for risk-free money, and everybody's got a home for some portion of risk-free money in their portfolio. So I, I, I can't get terminally bearish bonds here. I can't get terminally bearish the next auction either. Yeah. So great, I, and I, and I could point. be totally wrong. Yeah. I'm yeah, not an, no, I'm not but, an but expert. This is, you're, it's, a, it's a game of probabilities. That's what you're trying to do here. And you're trying to sort of, you know, see both sides and figure out where you think the opportunity is. Uh, someone else has, one of these days, we're going to get this serial, serial number thing straightened out. I promise you, Tony, what kind of names will you be buying at the bottom? Well, I saw some really interesting price action today in utilities, right? That sector has been getting slaughtered with yeah. the um, adjustment higher in yields, and it's been a steep 10% slide in utilities. And that is a that itself is a sort of multi-standard deviation um, move. The fact that we saw utilities up a percent and a half today, while the S&P now takes its dive, tells me that that utility sell-off happened and it's over. 
And when we put a new low on the board and then bounce back on a day that we have that huge move in treasuries, that says to me that I can go and at least start moving money towards that utility space that has just gotten eviscerated. Um, so I'm looking at that. I'm looking at home builders, home construction into support. ITB, the home construction ETF, just traded into its 200-day moving average support level today. I think that's a value play there. And you know, what value play meaning it may be wrong, but the risk reward is right. Mm -hmm. You know, you can risk one to make five here. And that's the kind of thing that we're looking for all day long, right? So we can place some emotionless bets out there. So I'm looking at that. I'm looking at the breakouts in cannabis and uranium. They're not there. They're not having pulled back to levels that I'm comfortably um, comfortable putting money to work in those sectors yet. But man, I'm, I'm eyeballing them and we're getting very close. So that's where I'm looking. Yeah. Utilities, home construction, uranium and cannabis. Sounds like a party. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, someone asking, what's your favorite ETF to play the energy trade? Uh, I like XOP quite a bit. XOP has got the Canadian um, producers in it. And I think that they're, uh, well, you know, I don't think I'm kind of copying the fact that I've heard a lot of experts in the market call the Canadian E&P companies very undervalued for what's going on here. And I see their point. So after reading up a little bit on that and saying, yeah, there's a good point. There's a good case there for Canadian EMP. I'm going to play XOP quite a bit on the rebound. Um, if XLE, the exploration and production ETF gets through 93, there's a flat top there that's clear as day, probably happens with the next move higher in oil. That's an attack. That's, that's, I have a plan of attack for that move as well, because I think there's going to be acceleration through that flat top. That's going to be catch some people off guard. Fantastic. So that's how I'm looking to play that. Fantastic. Tony, I could, it's, we, we say this a lot, but timing is everything. Perfect day to have you on while we have this action, because I think while people sort of get nervous, love the fact that you're looking at the sort of risk reward and trying to figure out where the opportunity is and where you want to be positioned, trying to get it sort of ahead of that turn. That's just awesome. We're seven years into the navigator trying to do exactly that, Maggie, right? Trying to do the right thing for our clients and get them into the right sectors at the right times. And so I made a lot of phone calls today. I had a yeah. really busy day and um, we'll see, you know, it's all about risk reward. You know, this is the kind of thing where these opportunities come along. They have made sense in your mind the entire yeah. way. And when you feel like you've got a beat on kind of what's happening, that's when you say, okay, this panic in the streets, right? Let's put some money to work. And, and if I'm wrong, take my money. You know, yeah. it's not a question that I'm think I'm going to be right here. I got stop losses on all the money I put at risk today. Right. Me. That's another important thing, right? You, know? you don't have to go into this, you know, jump in with two feet into the fire. You can be smart about it. Yeah. You know, my, my readers will know that, you know, if we come in next week and the S&P is 300 points lower and everyone that watched this is like, oh, man, Tony's getting killed. Well, he, I'll be long gone. By then, yeah. I promise you. Right. And my readers will know on the spot when we pull the trigger and we'll cut our losses and we'll be sitting there ready with eyes open for the next trade because it's all about, in the end, it's all about surviving and living to trade another day. So we don't marry any of these views. We just place emotionless bets and let the uh, dealer play it out. Absolutely. Um, and and we always say this, if, if it's an area that you're not comfortable with, um, on the Academy, we have a section all about this how you can get better at that, what you need to understand. So really encourage you to head over to that on the platform. If you're on YouTube, you need to get onto the platform in order to access that. But really, really helpful as you try to get a little bit more sophisticated um, and learn about some of the stuff that Tony's talking about. Tony, thank you so much. We really appreciate you always.
Thank you, Maggie. Great, great segment today. We covered a lot of ground. That was awesome. We did. It's going to be it's going to be exciting to watch. Going to be a crazy week. So before we go, just a reminder to everyone, um, we're teaming up with Ledger to bring you the Festival of Learning, another Festival of Learning. I know a lot of you have participated with us in the past. They're awesome. This one is on the next digital assets wave. It's going to take place next week. October 12th and 13th. It's completely free. You just need to sign up, uh, register. And that's at realvision.com forward slash festival. Um, we're going to be doing some cool stuff, uh, teaming up with Real Vision to do a ledger quest, um, which will enable you to mint a proof of knowledge NFT at the end. And we're also going to be giving away 100 Real Vision ledger storage wallets. So it's going to be super educational. Um, just head over to the website you see up there and you can sign up. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you. We'll be back same time tomorrow. Keep a close eye on this bond market. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Crane Shares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN forward slash Real Vision.